Welcome back for another episode of the Happy at Work podcast with Laura, Tessa, and Michael. Each week, we have thoughtful conversations with leaders, founders, and authors about happiness at work. Tune in each Thursday for a new conversation. Enjoy the show. We're so glad you're here today, and we're particularly excited about the two guests we have. So we have Laura Swap and Andrea Nicolescu. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having us. Yay. I'm so glad you're here. So we've had some really great um, conversations um, in the past, and Laura and I worked together a million years ago, and so just really excited that you're here with us. So why don't you start um, by just telling us a little bit about your career journey and you know where you've been. Um, Andrea, do you want to start? Sure. I'm so honored to to be here. Um, I'm Andrew Nicolescu, and um, my career journey began, I would say, on um, a, a public uh, transportation bus here in uh, Seattle, Washington, when I was um, deciding what I should major in in college. I thought I should be a business major, but I took my first accounting class, and um, that was a very, very bad idea. And so I was flipping through a magazine, and um, I, I came across what I thought was a piece of art. I thought it was a piece of poetry. Um, I was crying by the end of, you know, reading it. And at the end of it, I realized that it was an ad. And it was an ad for the very first, not, not to date myself, but it was the very first Nike women's campaign. And um, I thought to myself, what is this thing that, you know, flipping forward a little bit, um, this thing that I might do that combines you know, the through line kind of being, and, and this has taken me literally to today, um, which is I realized that I could do something that um, moves people like that. I felt very moved by that thing, even though it was, of course, commerce. Um, but I thought like, what might be the intersection of this, this notion of sort of art and commerce? And so cut to, I began a career in advertising, which then took me um, into a career in um, brand and and the way that I sort of think about that is helping companies and we'll get into this a little bit more um, helping companies sort out what you stand for what you believe who you're for who you're not for how you'll show up um, of course all grounded in um, values which we'll talk about in a second but um, but that was kind of the impetus or like the nugget for me is uh, wow in my career I could actually I could actually move people that 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 um, just really resonated with me. That's what I've done up until today. That's so cool. Laura, let me turn it over to you. Um, thank you. And thanks so much for having us. Um, I met going, I was going to say going backward, but I, Andrea and I met each other um, where we intersected at REI Co-op. But um, just very briefly, I, um, I studied anthropology and there's nothing to do with that, but go to graduate school. So then I went to graduate school and studied applied sociology. And during that, focusing on race and gender in organizations. And I ended up a million years ago when you and I met each other at an organization called Catalyst in New York and spent eight years as a consultant at the um, kind of dawning of diversity and inclusion in organizations. 
um, when companies were just beginning to think about what it looked like to actually take action. And for eight years, I worked with companies, um, including when I had the chance to meet you, Laura, and eventually went in-house to Starbucks um, as uh, in a diversity leadership role. And then I went to REI um, in a diversity leadership role. I realized at REI that there was um, this idea of what your brand cares about is so connected to diversity and inclusion. I I really migrated at that time to um, a brand marketing and what we now call social impact role, which is how REI combined the work. That's where I came to work with Andrea and um, now with one and three. So fantastic. I have to ask a couple quick follow-ups. Andrea, did you see the new movie Air with Matt Damon? Not yet, but it is on the very tippy top of my list, not least of uh, which is because my wife um, actually took a role at Nike for a few years. And so our family is very, um, it like it's like bookends, right? Or not ends. We're not, <laughs> we're not done with our story, but the fact that my career started um, with a Nike moment and, and then hers continued. Yeah. Have, is it incredible? It's okay. so good. Laura, did you see it? I saw that you, yeah. This Laura saw it. Yes, you saw it. Yes. Um, what'd you think being a uh, I, person? I thought, um, I thought that it was an incredible testament to the alchemy that makes brands hit a tipping point. How yes. many have to come together um, and how much like the dogged, passion and pursuit and vision of one right person can turn the tide. And yeah. Yeah. Incredible demonstration of that. I, I agree. I, um, I, I recently finished a branding book uh, that I published last October. I co-authored it with a colleague of mine, but one of the kind of uh, main themes of the book was finding meaningfulness in brands and how do you operationalize that through your organization? And I thought the movie did a really nice job of really connecting to not just it's about Michael Jordan being a great spokesperson, but it was about the fact that he could personify and bring meaning to the brand. And I think your experience, Andrea, just reminds me of when you have that moment of your brand doesn't matter unless it matters to people. And so I think that it sounds like that ad really mattered to you to the extent that it, it was everything the of I mean, your life. Yeah. I literally yeah. traced yeah, every single thing. And, and that, I mean, your point is well taken that that is a lesson that truly, um, it doesn't, you're not just your brand, but I, I actually believe we as human beings, our, our job is to matter, you know, and to connect with people in, in our humanity. And that's what that ad, that's truly what that Nike ad did. Um, and it looks, you know, they, they do it all throughout everything they touch so well. That, that's wonderful. So I want to then now learn more about one and three. So can you tell me a little bit about the inspiration behind starting this company? And then tell us a little bit about the company and what you do. Absolutely. Well, one and three was founded in the summer of 2020. Recall, if you will, um, that there was a moment in time where everything was somewhat coming undone. Um, not just somewhat, things were coming undone. And um, Andrea had left, REI was in Portland, had gone to Portland with her wife. I had left REI after eight incredible years. Andrea and I had done um, a lot of work together at REI. And then we worked on a project for Burton Snowboards. And as we were talking throughout that summer and how things were changing, we started to contemplate what would it uh, mean to 
create something together. And basically we, we did um, brand 101 on ourselves. And so we dug really deep for many weeks about what we care about and what we have to offer. And um, that's where one in three came up with. So one references the interconnectedness of everything um, or oneness, which is a core value of mine and something that I'm dogged about in everything that I do. And Andrea had brought forward at that time an article about three things that really are the hallmarks of almost all of our global problems. It's a roll-up of the sustainable development goals. The first thing is to decouple economic growth or to recouple economic growth with gains in living standards. The second is to decouple economic growth from environmental degradation. And the third is to end marginalization so no one gets left behind. And together we said, we believe in the interconnectedness and we believe in these problems needing work. And our belief together and our supposition is that any organization, team, or leader of any size or any industry can contribute work to one of these three things. And so that's what underlies um, one and three. And uh, we've been really busy ever since because it turns out the way business is working doesn't work. Um, there's a lot of opportunity um, as things come undone to imagine new ways of working. Um, and new ways of doing business. And that's what we're here for. That's and then maybe one other piece to um, add on to that is in um, a previous life in my work, um, I, I spent um, almost seven years um, working on the Starbucks brand um, before I went to REI. And um, during that time, um, came across in on a personal level and also a professional level came across this idea um you know I um Tess I uh, mentioned earlier that I'm from Romania and English is my second language and um as a 10 year old coming to to America and speaking you know not speaking English um I did not realize until well into my 30s when I was at Starbucks working on on the Starbucks brand and and reimagining the Starbucks brand I did not, um, I knew that companies had values, but I had no concept of, if you can believe this, um, it, because again, language, language is so important, shared language. Um, I had no concept that I had personal values. So, um, through, um, through a, an exercise that a, a friend brought my way, I, I did, um, begin to put language to my own personal values and, um, then right then was born um, a thing that Laura and I have integrated into our business, um, which launched, um, I I developed a partnership with um, a really incredible artist named Lisa Congan. And she and I um, launched into the world almost two years ago, um, a thing called the Live Your Values deck, which is about, um, there it is. Um, it, the, the subtitle of it is, um, sort out honor and practice what matters most. And Laura and I have, um, have used this tool in with all of our clients, whether they be individuals, teams, brands. Um, we truly believe that getting people, individuals getting a sense of what matters most to them and then how that applies to everything in their life, including their work as as 
um, you know, workers, employees, as leaders, as managers of people, um, it, when you don't have a sense of what matters most to you, how can you possibly integrate and have, you know, align with what your company, what your team um, is valuing most? And so that has been a really integral part of our work with one and three is, um, is starting those conversations. Fun fact in Japan, um, Japan culturally begins values conversations in nursery school. Okay. Like kids begin to think about what matters most to them. And then what matters collectively in nursery school is only we began that here. <laughs> Or ever. <laughs> or ever. Or ever. Or dare we say or ever. ever. Yeah. Laura and I are trying. We're trying to scratch at the ever. <laughs> I love that. And your these values cards are so cool. They're they're beautiful. They're beautifully designed. And the ideas uh, in them are so important. And you can buy them on Amazon. That's where I got my set. And I really think they're they're pretty important. I think I mentioned to you that my husband and I like did this little values sort thing and realized, oh yeah, this is why we're married to each other. We actually should value a lot of the same things. So that was really cool. So tell me more about like how some of the practices in your business and some of the things that you do to try to make work better. You know, what are some of the things that you put into place? Yeah. Thank you. Work, you know, work is changing so dramatically too, which is part of the fun of it. It's like what what even is work? Um, for us, there are a few things that we do, no matter who the client is or no matter what the work is. And that may sound funny, but the first is just landscape work because we, we like to have a sandbox. Like, what are we talking about? You know, people sometimes, um, when they're thinking about how to approach something, especially as big as values or purpose at work, it can feel overwhelming. And so we create a sandbox, which is what's happening in the world, what's happening in your industry, and how can we help you understand that? People are so immersed in work that they're going very, very quickly, and they often don't have times to pick their head up and kind of look at the zeitgeist. Look at the competitive landscape, look at the cultural landscape, so that whatever work we're doing, we situate in a moment in time. The second thing that we always do is just engagement with humans. Let's call that stakeholder engagement. And so how many voices can we get into the process? Um, we're not big fans of, um, you know, creating beautiful decks and then ta-da, presenting it. Um, so we we push to hear how many employees can we hear from? Can we conduct focus groups? Can we do one-on-one -on -one interviews? Can we do workshops? Because we know that if people are part of creating the process, that wherever the project goes, there's going to be more ownership. And, you know, we're in an era that's really shifted from like employer employers having the power to employees holding the power. In so many ways, you know, part of the great resignation and the undoing of 2020 and employees want to be heard. So really creating space for those voices, sometimes in very creative ways, like we do, you know, off sites with fun, creative exercise, like chopped um, and and but no one gets chopped. Just no one to gets be clear. Chopped. No, it's just about the cake ingredients. It's, okay. <laughs> it's just about Thank the ingredients you. of the basket yes. and what kind of dish yeah. you cook. It's no one's getting them. Um, Thank chopped. you. <laughs> <laughs> Clarification. And then we always do the values. We always use the value stack. It doesn't matter if the project is tiny. Doesn't matter if it's about team building or actually um, brand creation, which we've done brands from scratch starting with the individual insight about what people care about and then what does that entity, organization, team, 
brand care about. So those are just, those are three things that no matter the client, um, we are using to engage um, for great fodder. So for managers and leaders who are really trying to think about how to operationalize these values, um, you know, within their companies, within their teams, what advice would you give them to to be able to do this beyond, um, you know, of course, purchasing the values deck on Amazon and all that good stuff. Um, but what advice would you give them? So I'll start and then I'll, um, I'll turn it over to Laura. You know, I, um, for whatever reason in my career, I have um, been, let's call it labeled um, by others as a, a, a little L, a small L leader. Okay. And so what I mean by that is that I haven't necessarily had like the big title, the big VP, the big whatever, whatever title, but in however I show up, whatever I say, whatever I, you know, emanate, whatever, I've been deemed um, a little L leader. And and when I hear that, I think about how many little L leaders there actually are, you know, in organizations, people who, who resonate with the vision, people who galvanize other people around them. Those aren't always, you know, the people with the big titles. And actually, I might argue that they are these other little L leaders um, can be some of the most influential, some of the most authentically influential folks in an organization. And so um, I would say, keep an eye out um, for those people, because they are the quiet, like the kind of the the kind of fomenting, you know, for for good and sometimes not for good um, folks in an organization. The other piece that I would say is, um, as long as there are humans in your organization, and let's hope that's for a very long time, even though you know the 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 onset of robots and AI is absolutely here and coming. As long as there are humans in your organization, um, acknowledge and realize that humans are humans. There are people that respond to like the most basic stuff, like knowing people's names smiling at people, being interested in people's lives, genuinely, not performatively and not, you know, because you're checking off a box that's going to end up in your review someday, but like truly, truly recognize people's um, humanity, emotions, feelings. I don't mean like, you know, get mired in it, but, but genuinely just recognize as a manager and as a leader that you, um, that you're working with people and they ought to be treated as such. Over the past year and a half or so that we've been doing the podcast, we hear kind of these themes that emerge. And there's been so many CEOs that when we ask them, what is that one thing that you feel like people really appreciate? It's not, it's not the higher pay raise. It's not, you know, the extra benefit or it really comes down to the connection that they feel like they're authentically making with people. And Upmar Zafnauer, he was one of our first guests. He was the CEO of Aston Martin said that it was about going to the the floor of the factory and remembering that, you know, Billy, you know, his son was baseball game was last week and asking about the game. It, it was about making those little connections so that people felt like he cared and, and knew them and understood that they were people too, and not just, 
you know, productivity measurements. <laughs> right, right. Uh, it's really, it's really fascinating that that kind of is this underlying theme of these really high power CEOs that realize those simple human connections can make all the difference. Invaluable. I'm, I, I'm, I'm very encouraged to hear you say that that is a theme that you all have been, um, have, have been hearing. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And Laura, how about you? Yeah, I, I just want to, I am going to, I'm going to answer the question, but I just say our language removes us from that. Like when we talk about people as workers and employees and consumers, like it dehumanizes them in a way, like it, it makes them their function to you. Um, and it, it doesn't do us any favors. Um, you know, what I would say is that once organizations have sorted out or teams or individuals, what matters to them, the really most important part and what gets missed is how do you operationalize that? And so how do you begin to look at things like how you reward people, how you celebrate people, how do you do recognition, um, how do you engage your communities and audiences? If you say you value this, it should show up in X kind of way. So, you know, an example might be, let's say um, at REI, we would say, well, we really value the outdoors. Well, the first thing is get your own house in order. Like, what are you doing for employees? And that translated to, you know, like paid days off to just spend time outside, closing the doors on Black Friday and not asking employees to work or do anything other than enjoy time outside. Mm -hmm. um, and how do you recognize people's contributions to being outside or protecting the natural world? And so our job doesn't just, isn't just about thinking that you know your values, but how do you operationalize them and take actions that count um, across the whole business, starting with your employees, like inside out, like get your house in order. But what does it mean for your supply chain? What does it mean for your storytelling and your content and your marketing? Like, how do you actually, and it's a long game, live into, you know, live into these values and not talk out of both sides of your mouth. Yes. Oh my gosh. I love that so much. So I can't believe I, we could talk with you all day long. Our time is already up. Um, any parting thoughts that you want to leave us with before we wrap up? Laura, you first. Um, just that we, we're big fans of being what you seem. So you're not like one person at work and one person at home, you know, like we're done with this kind of compartmentalization. So be who you seem and live out your values and be an in integrity about that and know that you won't be for everybody and you won't be for every workplace, but you will be true to yourself. Yeah. The, the, the thing that I'll just add is, um, you know, we all, we've all heard this, um, know thyself quote from, I can't remember which, you know, philosopher, either Aristotle <laughs> or Socrates, but you know what? It's easier said than done. Um, but it's so invaluable. And, and, um, really when I think about the thing that I, um, want to leave this, this world with, it's, we all deserve to know each other but it's so vital that we know ourselves and and that to Laura's point about being what you seem that is the very definition of integrity and um and and so i i i wish for a, a world with more um integrity but but integrity is impossible without knowing yourself 
Um, and so just, just like having those really honest conversations with, with yourself, um, which is a, hopefully a lifetime journey. Um, you know, that's, that's how your employees, your colleagues, um, actually understand what you're made of and who you are. It starts with yourself. Um, so not to be too woo about it, but, um, God, the world needs it. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to hear future episodes, be sure to subscribe to the Happy at Work podcast and leave us a review with your thoughts. Are you interested in speaking on a future episode or want to collaborate with us? Let us know. You can send us an email at admin at happyatworkpodcast.com. And lastly, follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter for even more happiness. See you soon.